0: It is that time of week again. I am back for another round of Nine Cents. It is I, Adam Campbell, your host. And this is Nine Cents, a satanic perspective of our modern world. It's great to have you. It is July the 10th, and I've got a great show for you this week. First, I want to start off by talking about the resolution of my B issue. If you've been listening to this show for the past couple weeks, you've known that I have moved my shed... ...discovered a bee population that immediately assaulted me, <laughs> violating me. <laughs> I mean, it was all natural, you know. Just stings and shit, but... I, And really, I, I really can't complain that much, because I was the one walking in on their territory. But I had to fucking do it. It's my fucking backyard, after all. If they were paying taxes to this fucking city... I would not have fucking moved their fucking house at all. I would have let them continue living there, but I'm paying the fucking taxes. It's my fucking house. Those bees are going to have to learn to stop stinging my ass every time I fucking move around them. Last week, I was still a little flustered on how to deal with this. I was seeking out a lot of advice. I was trying to get in contact with local beekeepers to come and move it for me, doing everything I can to avoid buying poison and killing them. And they survived. I actually didn't mow my lawn last week... Because they are on the lawn... And I didn't want to like mow them over... I didn't want to mow around them... In case it pissed them off... And they started fucking attacking me. So I'm trying to get along with these creatures. I'm trying my hardest. You know what? This little segment should be called... Bee Resolution... Or Why I Love My Wife. Because... While I've been spending... Virtually three weeks... Trying to deal with this bee situation... My wife got tired of it, took some fucking barbecue salad tongs, walked out, picked up the fucking beehive, and moved it to the side of the house. In a span of 20 minutes, three weeks have been wasted on my part. She came back in, smacked her hands together, wiping off any potential issues, and that was it. Like It was solved. All I had to do was wait three weeks, and my wife took care of it for me. (laughs) You know, at one point, I'm looking at this like, why the fuck didn't I just do that? And I know why I didn't, because I didn't want to get fucking stung. But apparently, my wife is tougher than I am. She doesn't mind getting her hands dirty every once in a while, so, you know what? It's great. I love my wife. She's a fantastic woman. (laughs) And actually, probably in one of the bizarre of the bizarres, I'll tell you about the fucking mouse she took care of. For me, because apparently I'm incapable of dealing with anything greater than insect size as long as that insect isn't a bee. (laughs) Another news this week. I got a kick-ass tattoo from Storm, who works out of Art On You Studios over in Magna, Utah. And Storm is... He owns the shop. He is, um, he's is he been on the show a number of times, he's a friend of the show. Uh, he's a really fantastic artist. I asked him for a brimstone for my shoulder, and this was about a month ago when I got my sigil of Baphomet touched up by him on my back. So I asked him for a brimstone and pretty much gave him carte blanche, you know, hes he's the professional I'm coming to, I'm coming to him for a reason. I want him to be able to express himself through the tattoo as long as the brimstone is, is the, the topic. So I get there yesterday, and he gave me a brimstone. But he also gave me the brimstone carved into the forehead of a Lovecraftian uh, sort of uh, squid monster. So, you know, that the iconic image of uh, Cthulhu, visage. With like the tentacle face and everything. He did a fantastic job shading and uh, white highlights. And it it looks fucking amazing. I mean, it it looks really fantastic. It makes all of my other work look like pure shit. So I'm going to have to get my sleeves fucking decked out by this guy. And I'm going back next week. I'm sorry, next month. uh, For the angel on fire on my right forearm. So I've got my devil on my left. I'll have my angel on my right. Make no mistake who I'm going out with tonight. A little bit of dancing there to cheese it up. But like I said before, I do have a great show for you. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking a little bit about some satanic symbols. You know, I've I've gone over the sigil of Baphomet in the past, but also the brimstone, which I talked about at the top of the show with the tattoos, but also it is capping, it is sort of the cherry on the top of the nine satanic statements in the satanic bible. So there's been throughout, you know, the decades a little bit of conversation about why and what and what the fuck. So I'm going to maybe touch on that a little bit and give a little perspective on it. This is not law, you know, it's just my personal point of view. And the Wolf's Hook I've had on my body and True Blood put it on their fucking show and I don't know how to feel about that. I don't feel too good about it, but whatever. Um, I'm going to talk about it and It's history quite dubious history, actually. In Infernal Informant, I'm going to give you an article, Orrin Hatch, The Poor Should Do More to Shrink Debt, Not the Rich, and Pakistan Slams US Comments on Slain journalist. In Creature Feature, I'm going to be taking a break from the Radio Free Satan interviews, and I'm going to give you my take on Rockstar's game L.A. Noir. It's a new Xbox game that came out about a month and a half ago, and I've been playing it a little bit, and uh, it's it's really fantastic. I'm going to talk about it for a little bit, and in Bizarre of the Bizarre, I have a little comment, a little side note on mowing the lawn for lines. So, with that ahead of us, let's leave the intro behind and move on into The Devil's Advocate. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone I raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon, To the north and to the south I show a sign proclaiming, A death to the weakling, Wealth to the strong. Can I get a Hail Satan? I said, can I get a Hail Satan? We are the Devil's Advocates. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate yet again, and today we're going to be talking about some satanic symbols. First of all is the Wolfsangle, or Wolfsuck, as (laughs) us Americans say is the wolf's hook. Okay, so the wolf's hook is sort of that, oh, I don't know, you might call it a lightning bolt with a cross section. Um, some might call it a backwards N with a line going down the slanted part of the N, depending on how it's arranged, whether it's vertical or horizontal. So the vertical is known as the thunderbolt or the uh, donker keel. My fucking pronunciation is probably terrible. And the horizontal variant is known as the werewolf. Now, when I first looked this up, it was um, described to me as meaning werewolf or beast. Now, I've always connected myself since I was a fucking kid. In the early, I don't know if anyone remembers this. There was a network television show called Werewolf. And, um, of course, all the howling horror movies. Uh, American Werewolf in London. Um, even all the way back to fucking Wolfman when I first saw it. So I've always had this affinity for the werewolf, the the human that is so animalistic and bestial that he is overcome with that and becomes that at certain times of the month. Uh, and, and that's sort of, you know, just a running theme throughout my life and how, I guess you could say just my nature as a human being, uh, very bestial. Um, and just, you know, the way I deal with anger and, and um, conflict, stuff like that. And it falls in line perfectly with the Satanic Bible and the Satanic principles. Man is just another animal, a uh, Satanic statement. So this made perfect sense for me to have it on my body. I actually was first introduced to the wolf's hook itself by... It had to be the early 2000s or something. And I found Boyd Rice on, online and I saw it associated with him. And I always liked the aesthetic that he carried. It was always obscure. It was always out there. Um, and I enjoyed it, you know, for a time. I ended up tattooing this on myself. Now, I'm not a tattoo artist. I'm a scratcher at best. And I only say that, I don't do it anymore, but, um, because I wanted to create art. I mean, I am an artist at my core, so I wanted to create it on myself. And something as important as this, I wanted to do for myself, by myself, you know? personal expression, if you will. And though I have no formal training, I think I did a pretty fucking good job. <laughs> it, it, it probably could use quite a bit of work, but still, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy with it. And it's on my wrist. Um, I, I wear this mark as a badge of honor. It is purely an easy way to symbolize what I am as an individual. Probably the easiest way. Um, the woolsook is what I am, uh, the sigil of Baphomet is who I am, if you can understand that distinction. So, I had no idea. I'm, I, I admit ignorance in this. I had no idea. It was actually used by the Nazis um, in World War II. Now, you may say I'm a fucking idiot for that, and you probably would be right. I was just ignorant of it. So, I was working um, through college at part-time at a, a coffee shop, and a gentleman came up and broke the news to me. And I was actually pretty fucking bothered by that. Now, I've I've always kind of had, and, and maybe this is just me, but the idea of tight-fitting Nazi clothes on a girl, a sexy, big, busty girl, is incredibly sexy to me. I don't know why. It's just a woman in uniform, and the Nazi uniform was really fucking sharp. I really liked the aesthetic appeal of it all. What bothered me was not that they used it, Because I understand why they use it. They use it the same fucking reason I am using it. They're the same reason why I have it on my body. What bothered me is that because they used it, and I have it on my body, people attribute their beliefs, their execution of their ideas, with me. And that infuriates me quite a bit. Uh, I, I am really not a fucking sympathizer for anything... As far as Nazis go. Except for maybe their aesthetic appeal. <laughs> and that's it. I, and, and you know, I actually have to add this in too. The music, the the classical music, the band music, the jazz music that was spurring up around the world, starting in the United States, and um, enjoyed throughout the time, I really love as well. But outside of all that, the Nazis themselves, I think we're shitbags. I, I absolutely fucking can't stand them. I don't like the idea of... Hating someone or killing someone just because they're from a specific background, because I don't think your background wholly, wholly defines who you are. I think it can bear a very important base on who you develop into. But you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a racist. I don't. I don't fucking buy that shit. I do not drink that fucking Kool Aid. So to be you know, attributed with that just because I have this symbol that was around for thousands of years before the fucking Nazis picked it up kind of pissed me off. Uh, I never went so far as to hide it. But I did go into depth explaining why I have it if someone asked. And you'd be surprised at how many people ask. I've gotten people that seen it and thought, why do you have nice nails on your fucking arm? Like I'd have some fucking band. Like, I I enjoy nice nails, but I don't, I don't care how much I like a band. I'm not going to fucking get a tattoo of them. And that's just me. Some people do, you know, fucking awesome. Some people get Tasmanian devils tattooing their ass. I don't care. I won't. So the idea that someone would think I have a fucking band logo is fucking as absurd as attributing the Nazi fucking party with, you know, this symbol that predated it. Um. So well, that was a bit of a rant I just went off on. Uh, Anyway, that's what the Wolfsangle is. That's that's the Wolfsangle. That's what the Wolfsuck is. Uh, It's attributed to Werewolf or Beast. It is a symbol used... uh, Well, specifically, it's a German rune that's been around for fucking thousands of years. Now, the Church of Satan, uh, I don't believe has ever formally come out and adopted it or accepted it. Um, But I know, like, um, you know, there's been, like, jewelry and T-shirts and stuff that a lot of members have taken upon themselves and you know just seen as a talisman of power representing nature and perfect balance you know it goes along with that satanic statement man is just another animal so that's the wolf shook how about we go into what the brimstone is this is from about.com chemistry sulfur or brimstone alchemy symbol the element sulfur was one of the three classical principles or heavenly substances. Sulfur, also known as brimstone, was widely used by alchemists. Now, why was this symbol of brimstone or sulfur capping the nine satanic statements? I'm pausing for you to figure that out because it's pretty fucking obvious. The idea of sulfur or brimstone correlating with, I don't know, maybe the fires of hell? Um... Statements coming out of hell? Uh, the core founding satanic principles of hell? Pretty much that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, because I've never heard an interview clip or read a piece where Anton Levay is specifically calling out why he put it there, I am purely speculating. But it seems pretty fucking obvious. And you know what? Just the look of it. Now there are actually a couple different symbols for brimstone and sulfur that are used. The one that Anton Lavey used in the Satanic Bible seems to make a lot of sense because one, it looks like an upside down cross, and sort of this uh, eternity sign or the Ouroboros, um, which is you know sort of the ancient symbol depicting a serpent or dragon or leviathan. So it makes a lot of sense that he would use that as well. Um, just the, the the visual matches up with sort of the feel that he was going for when he created and wrote the Satanic Bible. And the chemistry symbol backing made sense uh, when you think of that theatrical nature as well. So that's In short, the brimstone and the wolfsook. They have intimate, though non-direct, relation with Satanism. Um, Intimate, as in the meaning behind them makes sense and correlates. But they weren't originally created for it. I mean, none of symbols that we use in modern days were ever, you know, made for anything that we repurposed them for. So we always kind of have to keep that in mind. Um, We take what we can, what makes sense, from the original symbol and repurpose it, really. You know, that's what mankind has always done about everything. And we sort of added meaning as the ages have gone on as well. So those are, you know, the two indirect um, versus the one direct symbol associated with the Church of Satan and the one direct being the, the sigil of Baphomet. So, if you have any other questions about any other symbols, I would be happy to address them as I can, or forward you to someone who will or can or somewhere to learn about it yourself. But that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about in this um, in this Devil's Advocate. So let's go ahead and move on into the Infernal Informant. 40 years darkness! Six, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dolls and cats living together, massive area, all oh, in the moment. All right, this article comes from the Huffington Post. Obviously, the Huffington Post is a political organization. So keep that in mind when when I'm reading this because it is going to have that slant to it. But there's a couple things that I found in here that I thought interesting which prompted me on on bringing this to you. So this article was written... Excuse me. uh, First posted on the 7th of July. Written by Michael McAuliffe. Alright, it starts... uh, Washington. Senator Orrin Hatch, Republican Utah, voted against beginning debate on a measure that would have the Senate declare the rich should share the pain of debt reduction Thursday, a day after arguing that it's the poor and the middle class who need to do more. Quote, I hear how they're so caring for the poor and so forth, Hatch said in remarks on the Senate floor Wednesday in reference to Democrats. The poor need jobs, and they also need to share some of the responsibility. End quote. Hatch's comments were aimed at a motion that passed 74 to 22, to start debating a non-binding resolution that says millionaires and billionaires should pay a more meaningful role in reducing the nation's debt. Just one Democrat, Senator Ben Nelson uh, from Nebraska, voted against having the debate. Senator Jeff Sessions, Republican Alabama, who had previously called the resolution rather pathetic, nevertheless voted to move ahead on it, but it was Hatch whose remarks Wednesday raised the idea that the wealthy are already doing too much, even as the nation's effective tax rates are at a modern low since the Bush administration slashed rates in 2001 and 2003. In his view, it seems, the middle class and poor should be picking up the slack. Quote, the top 1% of the so-called wealthy, pay 38% of all income tax. The top 10% are paying 70% of all income tax, Hatch said. The top 50% pay somewhere near 98% of all income taxes. 51% don't pay anything, Hatch said, suggesting the payroll taxes that the poor and middle class pay towards Social Security yields them an especially generous benefit. Quote, Democrats say... They, the 51%, pay payroll taxes. Well, everybody does, because that's Social Security. They pay about one-third of what they're going to take out over the year in Social Security, Hatch railed. Obamacare, a family of four, earning over $80,000 a year, gets subsidies. Think about that. That's what we call poor? Hatch hedged that the poorest of the poor shouldn't have to pay taxes. But he was clear that people who qualify for subsidies because they can't afford things like health care should dig deeper. Now, we don't want the really poor people who are in poverty to have to pay income taxes, he said. But 51% of all households, and that's going up, by the way, because of our friends down in the White House and his allies. Alright, here's what kind of bugs the shit out of me. He says here... Hatch railed Obamacare. A family of four earning over $80,000 a year gets subsidies. Think about that. That's what we call our poor. So Hatch is railing against subsidies. But it's Hatch and his party that are continuing the subsidies for farming, for agriculture, not needed subsidies for them, and subsidies for oil companies. The same companies that don't pay any taxes, zero, just like the fucking poor. But we don't want to tax them. That's not important. Now, I disagree with Hatch on a couple notions here. One, his existence. I cannot stand Warren Hatch. I live in Utah. He's my representative. Fuck him. I hate him. I I really don't like him. I do not like his politics. I think he's a total sellout, um, as are every Republican uh, right now. But I can forgive him that I do not agree with this. He doesn't think the poor should pay taxes. This is absurd. Everyone in our fucking country, everyone in our country who earns money should pay taxes on that money. Everyone. It's the only way that everyone can pitch in and everyone has a stake in this country, if we start saying that some people don't have to pay taxes, that makes them a different type of citizen. We start dividing up our citizens. We start dividing up our country. What it really stands for. So I'm against that. I do believe in a flat tax, meaning let's say five percent, fifteen percent of anything that you earn goes straight to the government, whether it's state or federal, uh, or, or split between the two. And you never get that back. We, you know, we, we have deductions so that people can get part of their income taxes that they pay back. Which, you know what, I guess would be fine if, if there weren't loopholes. I guess that would be fine if there weren't people taking advantage of it. But right now, you have people on lower tax income brackets who not only get everything back that they put in. You know, I, I, I would be okay if that was all it was. But they make money. Meaning that the rest of the people who in, in the fucking country paying taxes who are putting money in and don't get all of their money back are giving that money to the poor who are not working as much, who are not, are continually having more babies to get the huge fucking deductions that come with that. I understand that there's a lot more to it than that. And I'm making a very, very flat blanket statement here. But when people make money, make money off of their taxes, not just get back what they put in, but actually earn fucking money from it, there's something wrong with the fucking system. When people don't pay any taxes, there's something wrong with the system. Everyone should fucking have a stake in this country of ours that benefits from this country of ours. We are at a point in our history where taxes are at an all time low for everyone. All the while, involved in more conflicts than we ever have. More open conflicts, I should say. We cannot continue this. And then you have the fucking Tea Party going crazy, making their entire existence based around fucking taxes. We have to fucking realize here, we have some serious issues in this fucking country. Now, I'm not saying we need to take care of all of our citizens, but if our citizens are paying into something, like Medicare, like Social Security, then they should get what they fucking put in back. Period. And you can't tell me we've already fucking spent it. That's a cop-out. You're literally stealing from your citizens. And you can't say that throwing money at corporations or industries that don't need it should continue. Because that's bullshit. All the while, and this is the Republican stand here, saying that fucking the poor should pick up more of slack. How the fuck are they going to pick up slack? They don't have money. They can't pick up the slack. Partially because they can't get fucking jobs. Because these corporations that you keep giving fucking tax breaks to for sending jobs overseas won't ever bring them back. Why should they? They get tax breaks for doing it. For sending it overseas. And you're fucking continuing these tax breaks. It's insane. I honestly think you have to have some form of a mental deficiency if you are a card-carrying member of the Republican Party. You either have to be a pure moron pure sellout, or have to be mentally deficient. Now, equally, you can say the same thing about the Democratic Party. I think you have to be pretty fucking retarded to back some of the shit that they threw out there, too. The only sane position is standing back and observing what we do and what this whole fucking podcast is all about. So that was that article, in a nutshell, going off on a bit of a rant yet again, as I always do, as I'm known, as I am prone to do. Let's talk about Pakistan, shall we? We shall. Alright, so this article is actually from NPR. Pakistan slams U.S. comments on slain journalist by the Associated Press, Islamabad, July 8th. A suggestion by the top U.S. military officer that Pakistan's government may have sanctioned the killing of a journalist who wrote about the country's powerful security establishment was, quote, extremely irresponsible the Pakistani state-run news agency said the verbal sparring over the death of Salim Sahaz Sazad I can't say that has added even more strain to US-Pakistani relations which have been teetering badly since the American raid that killed Osama bin Laden on May 2nd in a northwest Pakistani army town Sahazad's torture body was found in late May after he told friends he had been threatened by Pakistan's Inter-Services intelligence agency, a spy unit that is notorious for harassing reporters. Pakistan is considered one of the deadliest countries for journalists. The ISI has denied it had anything to do with killing Sazad, but the suspicions have persisted and prompted unusual levels of public criticism of the spy agency. Sazad's death also added to the pressure on the Pakistani military since the unilateral U.S. raid against the Al-Qaeda chief, which left it humiliated. On Thursday, U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Admiral Mike Mullen said he was very concerned about Sazad's killing, and that he had seen nothing to disprove reports that the Pakistan government played a role in it. Mullen, who has devoted enormous time in the last four years to try to improve relations with Pakistan leaders, acknowledged he could not directly tie the killing to the ISI. But he also noted past reports of government authorities abusing journalists in Pakistan. Quote, "...I have not seen anything to disabuse the report that the government knew about this," Mullen told a group of reporters, according to a transcript posted Friday. "...I would not be able to walk in and say, you know, here's the string of evidence I have to confirm it." He added later, "...it's something we all need to pay a lot of attention to, including the Pakistanis. It's not a way to move ahead." It's a way to continue to, quite frankly, spiral in the wrong direction. The state-run Associated Press of Pakistan issued a statement hours later in which a unnamed government spokesman called Mullen's statement extremely irresponsible and said that they will not help in investigating the issue. The news agency, which acts as a government mouthpiece, often does not name the officials it quotes and reports. The spokesman further noted that the Pakistani government had created a commission to investigate Sazad's death and urged anyone who has anything to share on the subject at the national or international level to do so with the panel. The 40-year-old Sazad was a well-known journalist who wrote for the Asia Times Online and other publications. He regularly investigated sensitive topics, such as the alleged ties between militants and the state. Pakistan was the deadliest country for journalists in 2010 with at least eight killed in the line of duty, according to the New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists. Six died in suicide attacks, the group said in the report late last year. Despite the dangers, the media establishment in Pakistan has expanded rapidly over the past decade, and reporters here operate with freedoms denied in most developing countries. Still, many privately admit to getting occasional pressure from security and intelligence officials. So, Pakistan is upset that journalists are calling them out on either their compliance or their ignorance. I understand that. I can completely, completely understand where they're coming from. They are fucking idiots. They don't want to look like idiots. And people are calling them idiots and giving them proof why. They get pissed off. I get that. Um, but killing a fucking guy over it? might be going a bit far. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's only gonna draw more attention to you. It's just absurd. You know, Pakistan is receiving a lot of fucking money from us so that they won't go to the dark side to anti American interests. Well wake up America. They're already fucking doing it, and they have been for a long fucking time. We need to stop sending them fucking money. We need to stop backing any of their fucking leaders. Mm -hmm. Pakistan, like all of the Middle East, is going to go through a growth spurt. Now, they pretend that they're much more democratic by allowing, by good grace, allowing journalists to go in and report on what they think is okay to report on. How gracious of them. But they're still a fucking third world country. You know? I mean, it's still the middle of shithole nowhere. It's still a fucking third world country. Run by fucking Luddites. So, let's just move on past this. Stop fucking supporting Pakistan, America. Wake the fuck up. They are not our friends. I don't think they ever have been. They were knowingly harboring a fucking criminal. Bin Laden. I think it is fucking impossible that they couldn't have known. And you know what? Quite honestly, fuck them. Leave them to their own fucking demise. If they want to team up with fucking Korea, let them. We will deal with it if we have to, when we have to. You know, I'm not. I'm not a preventive war type person. I think you know, let shit fucking fall where it may. And uh, if if they want to go toes, then fucking we'll go toes. You know, I I don't care about casualty of war. It's a reality. We just have to fucking accept it. But we can't fucking afford to baby a country that is going behind our back. We can't afford it. So I guess my little commentary there had nothing to do with that journalist. (laughs) At least very little, but, you know, I just thought it was interesting anyway. So that's it for the Infernal Informant this week. I'm going to take a little bit of a break, and on the other end, we're going to go into Creature Feature with Ali Noir and a little bit of Bizarre the Bizarre. The Satanic Scriptures hands down the wit, wisdom, and diabolical perspective of the Church of Satan's high priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore. These essays, articles, and diatribes have been collected from over 20 years of the high priest's writings for his infernal cabal, some first issued in the pages of publications available only to insiders. From the magic of toys to techniques of time travel, Magus Gilmore leads the reader down a left-hand path where few will find what they expect. Magus Gilmore reveals principles of satanic ritual in a frank discussion of forbidden rites. What is a satanic funeral? How do satanists marry? Find out now, as these unholy ceremonies have never been disclosed outside of the church of Satan's hellish hierarchy. Here is the philosophy for those bold enough to be their own gods or devils. Visit thesatanicscriptures.com for more information. Released by Scapegoat Publishing. Available in paperback form from major booksellers and independents nationwide. Is this this thing on? All right, is this thing working now? You got it? All right. Uh, This year's um, Citizens Against Decency uh, Book Award uh, goes to Stephanie Crabe and uh, Motel Bazaar. It's, uh, yes, excuse you. It's it's not just a uh, book photo book of uh, truck stop lesbians, wacko cult leaders, racists, trannies, and the uh, grossly obese. It also has uh, tits in it, which uh, I, uh, I can appreciate. Without uh, further ado, Cat Award for the Advancement of Immorality in uh, Books <coughs> uh, with Stephanie. Where are you, it? Come on up. What? what what's that? I, I was... was Motel Bazaar by Stephanie Crabe. Available through scapegoatpublishing.com. See! Dark, dark art, tattoos, prints, T-shirts, stickers, and more. Log on to artonyou.com now. Finally, you can own apparel with designs of integrity that embody the ideals of those of us who embrace the darker side of nature. Art on You Studios features the creations of dark artist and tattooist Storm. Log on to art on That's W-W-W dot artonyou.com. That's www.artonyou.com. Art on You Studios. See the dark. Now available from Purging Talon is the debut authored book by Church of Satan Magister Matt G. Paradise Bearing the Devil's Mark Bearing the Devil's Mark is a bold and no-nonsense treatise on the subject of Satanism not from the perverse pen of bitter and jealous Christians or even their pagan counterparts but straight from the Satanic perspective itself sex, love, Politics, technology, the god religions, and more. All brought to you by someone with over 25 years of actively living the satanic philosophy. To order, log on to purgingtalon.com. Bearing the Devil's Mark, new from Purging Talon. Do you bear the mark? And curdling good time well terror transmission brings you horror movie commentary like no other podcast listen in as your handsome hosts examine all of your current and soon-to-be favorites from the past tune in through itunes or the show's official website www.terrortransmission.com Where you can also find horror chat, on-site movie reviews, horror DVD release dates, and more. And don't forget to check out Terror Transmission on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Flickr. Terror Transmission, the greatest horror commentary podcast ever. Have you ever felt... There was a level above being human. Do you feel as though you are better than most mortals? If the answer is yes, then please explore the Temple of the Vampire. www.vampiretemple.com. The Temple of the Vampire. Are you one of us? Dark moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. in the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears. The damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as a last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to creature, creature. Alright, Creature Feature. Today we're going to be talking about L.A. Noir. I'm going to read a bit of a review and then sort of just give you a bit of my take on it from playing it. This review is actually from The Guardian, and it was posted all the way back in the 16th of May uh, by Steve Boxer. Ever since it first worked out how to assemble pixels so that they resembled something more recognizable than aliens, the games industry has dreamed of creating one thing above all else, a game that is indistinguishable from a film except that you can control the lead character. With L.A. Noire, it just might finally have found that embodiment of the particular holy grail. From start to finish, L.A. Noire feels like a film, L.A. Confidential. In fact, along with any similarity, hard-boiled example of film noir adapted from stories by the likes of Chandler and Hamlet, set in a gloriously convincing depiction of L- depiction of Los Angeles in 1947, which is much more attractive than today's L.A., it casts you as Cole Phelps, returning war hero turned cop. Instantly, you plunge deep and satisfyingly into his working life, solving a vast number of cases as he becomes the LAPD's poster boy, first in homicide, then in vice. And your immersion in Phelps' affairs ratchets up even further when he is hung out to dry by his dubious superiors. There have been plenty of games with cinematic pretensions in the past. So what is it that enables L.A. Noir* to make a transcendental leap? Inevitably, technology is involved. The new motion scan system used to capture actors' performances simply produces more convincing facial animation than we've ever seen in a game. Couple that with the obsessive attention to detail for which Rockstar's existing games, such as Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption, are famed, and the end result rings true to a greater extent than anything that has gone before. The familiar need to suspend disbelief has been all but eliminated. Real Life Gameplay L.A. Noir's gameplay gameplay capitalizes cleverly on this breakthrough technology. Essentially, it sees you playing through Phelps' working life, doing what you imagine a real-life LAPD detective would have done in 1947. Thus, you have to drive to crime scenes and root around for clues and examine bodies and follow the resulting leads. It's when you question suspects and witnesses that things get interesting. You have to analyze facial responses and bodily ticks, like a poker player sees tells. Then, <clears throat> excuse me, choose one of three tones to adopt for each question. These are marked truth, doubt, and lying, but sympathetic, dubious, and accusatory would perhaps be more rigorous. If you accuse a suspect of lying, you must back that up by producing evidence, all accessed along with uh, your records of each case and the detail of suspects uh, from your cops notebook. If you don't adopt the correct tone, the character you're quizzing will, at the very least, take longer to give you the crucial information you seek. As you rise through the ranks, you earn intuition points, which can be cashed in to eliminate one wrong question tone, or reveal the location of all clues at a location. Luckily, L.A. Noir is pretty forgiving, so if your body language assessment skills aren't up to CSI standards, you should still get the right result in the end. Although you do risk chewing out from your boss for shoddy police work which is genuinely mortifying beautiful pacing the game's pacing and narrative arc impress as much as its believability the bog standard detective work fun though it is is punctuated ridiculously by actions sequ- by action sequences including car chases pursuing suspects on foot climbing around inaccessible areas puzzle solving and of course shootouts between cases you either get a flashback of to Phelps's war experiences in Japan or a glimpse into his off-duty life but both of those elements end up feeding back into the overarching storyline the overs of Shelley and even anarchist author Pyotr Kropniken <laughs> I butchered that are fed into the mix newspapers that you find when hunting for clues trigger yet another backstory this time involving ongoing LA skullduggery which yet again intersects with the main storyline in the game's later stages. A fascinating snapshot of America struggling to readjust to everyday life in the aftermath of a second world war emerges, reinforced by the attitudes of your fellow cop, many of whom would be ejected from the Sweeney of political incorrectness, although Phelps' keen sense of morality keeps him sufficiently in check to appease modern moral arbiters seeking outrage. Since you're the center of the proceedings, participating in and dictating the actions, the overall effect is powerfully immersive. Cleverly, Rockstar has ensured that L.A. Noir is a thoroughly inclusive game, too. The control system is, su- is sufficiently simplified that even the most determined non-gamers could find it intimidating. Shouldn't. Find it intimidating. Indeed, the more hardcore gamers may carp that isn't sufficiently action-packed or precise. The one criticism that could be leveled against the game is that the shooting system has been oversimplified so that it feels clunky compared to the likes of Grand Theft Auto. Depth and meatiness. L.A. Noire largely does away with the free-roaming that enhances the appeal of Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption. As you drive around, you do occasionally hear of street crimes to which you can respond, and there are hidden vehicles and L.A. landmarks that completionists can collect and visit, but the overwhelming focus is on the main story. So it's a good job that bucking the modern trend for short, single-player games, L.A. Noire, is satisfyingly meaty. Rockstar reckons it's roughly equivalent to the length of two seasons of a TV series, a claim that feels roughly accurate. Perhaps then it would be more accurate to argue that L.A. noir more closely approximates a television show than a film. It beats any film hands down in terms of sheer amount of entertainment on offer, which is, of course, an advantage games have always had over films. It has all the period charm of Boardwalk Empire or Mad Men. Indeed, the role of Phelps is played by Mad Men's Aaron Staten. Other digitized Mad Men actors crop up sporadically, and it seasons the gameplay with a healthy dash of CSI. In the past, games with such overwhelming ambitions have floundered on odd, usually peripheral aspects that jarred such an unrealistic animation, and especially facial animations, clunky dialogue, poor virtual camera work, or facile characterizations. LA Noir is the first game to lack any such element, which naggingly reminds you that you're playing a video game, rather than strolling through a film or TV series. That's why it marks a breakthrough for games as a whole, and we can't wait to see what Rockstar does with LA Noir's technology in its other blockbuster franchises. Now that ends the article, and that was actually pretty long. Thank you for sitting through that. But I think it's important because I haven't finished the game yet, and so I wanted to give you the perspective of someone who'd really gone through the game entirely. When I started this game, I was pretty frustrated right off the bat with trying to read these people's facial cues and stuff. But as you go through playing the game, and as you uncover evidence, it becomes increasingly simpler to really be able to read, you know, tells, essentially. You're never really taught. You're pretty much thrown in and and demanded to figure it out yourself. But just naturally, you do. And it's a lot of fun doing it. And I kind of disagree with his free-roaming gameplay comment that it's not very free-roaming. I played Red Dead Redemption to 100% completion. And the Undead Expansion Pack, Undead Nightmare, to completion 100%. I absolutely loved that game. This game is really not that far from it in terms of the ability to really go off and do whatever the hell you want. You There are a lot, a lot more than this article actually claimed side one-shot missions that you can stumble across, and there's a lot of collecting to be had. I've been really enjoying the car collecting personally. But just the missions themselves, they don't feel... I, I'm a completionist, and so I, I like to feel like I have, you know finished something when you're working on these cases it's really nice because you do just that you know you're taking this game on one case at a time so you can make that case last an hour or you can really delve into it and make it last longer depending on the case. And then just driving around, the partner that you have at the particular time reveals a lot of the story. There's a lot of talking that goes back and forth. And actually the partner ends up helping in some of the achievements that you can be awarded through the gameplay. This is a really rewarding experience. It's a really great game. And if you are a fan of of noir films, of uh, detective novels, of just CSI in general, crime scene investigations this game is going to be the best game of the year for you. Uh, I have not finished it all the way through yet, but I'm looking forward to it. The visuals are fantastic. I think the realistic facial motion scan that they have actually kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. You know, it's a little too much that they hype it up, and sometimes there's like these weird quirky body motions that they go through, but, you know, other than that, I think it's fantastic. Uh, great game. highly recommend it. Five stars. LA Noir, Rockstar Games. Buy it. Let's go ahead and move on into uh, Bazaar of the Bazaar. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Bazaar of the Bazaar. All right. Bazaar of the Bazaar this week is Mowing Lawns for the Lines. Now, I'm sure you've heard of, you know, if your vacuum doesn't work or, or if your floor is just absolutely clean anyway, some people will just vacuum just so that they have those sort of lines marking the carpet, sort of back and forth that the vacuum makes, <laughs> and it sounds fucking crazy when I hear about that, but during the summer, I actually find myself doing the exact same thing for the lawn. At my house, we don't have a sprinkler system, and so... It in the summer it becomes really challenging to maintain growth in my lawn so we do allow it to go pretty dry not dead but you know pretty dry so when i do mow it's it's so little i can actually sometimes go 2 weeks without mowing it um but i just i there's this the motion of getting outside firing up the lawnmower and cleaning up the yard, there's just something therapeutic for me that I find in it. The, the, the moment of peace where you are taking care of your yard. And I don't even have to. So, you know, often I find that I'm doing this just for the fucking lines that it makes. You know? just Just to make neat patterns or something. <laughs> like just to make sure that the lines are different every week. You know, whether it's horizontal and vertical and then diagonal and then the opposite diagonal and then maybe sometimes I just do one big perimeter circle down to the center. It it sounds a little bit weird, (laughs) and maybe it is, but I find myself doing that in the summer a lot. And, you know, it really is only during the summer because during the spring and fall, my lawn is absolutely lush and, and it looks really, really good. I mean, we're working on the backyard because when we bought the house it was pretty tore up. So there's some parts on the sides uh of the yard that are, you know, still working. Works in progress. But for the most part, it, it's really lush and it's really a nice, nice fucking lawn. Except for that summer, man. It's fucking hot. Maybe we gotta do something about that fucking sprinkler. I don't know. I don't really mind it because the lawn lives, it's not dead. And it still looks nice. It's just drier than it would, you know, it is during the spring. Maybe it's not an issue. I don't know, but that's that's really all it is. Uh, so that's it for the bizarre. The bizarre, uh, a little quirkier than bizarre, but you know what? I hope you can take that. And that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Undercroft, Facebook, Twitter, or MySpace page, <laughs> MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. I'm also now on Google+, so add me to your circle for updates there. You can also listen to this show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes. But if you do, search for 9cents and don't forget to leave a rating and a comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit undercroft at Satannet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. I also wanted to talk about the Halloween episode that I'm brewing up. I've gotten a couple confirmed really fantastic guests lined up. So if you have any questions that you want answered about greater magic, ritual magic, that's the time... ...to send in those questions. And you can actually send those in on my Facebook page of Nine Cents. Uh, I've, I have a discussion thread about it. Or you can send them to me uh, at info at nine dot com. Unless otherwise stated, I will keep your anonymity... ...and just address them as if I am asking them. I plan on talking to them for quite some time. It's going to be a powerful episode. So if you do want to be a part of it... Certainly let me know, and I'll get your questions, uh, as long as they're not fucking retarded, (laughs) you know, uh, brought to the members, and uh, we will talk about Ritual Magic in depth, at length. And before I go, I would like to once again talk briefly about my children's book, How Crow Got a Back. It's a book that teaches your children to look inside of themselves for the strength to overcome their fears. It contains satanic reference and features my own writing and artwork. Visit the website at adampcampbell.com forward slash crow to learn more. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, hail Satan.